I'm Joe Kane. I'm Dan Kane. I'm Sal Conca. And I'm Wayne Heckler. And this is the Imperfect Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at hecklercane.com and download our episodes for free on iTunes and SoundCloud. To the bumper. Today we're here with Jeffrey Cantor, who plays Ellison on Daredevil. I'm like super excited. He's going to be one of those guests that just, he's very intelligent and he's a very good, respected actor. Yeah, he's well respected. I mean, he's got the chops. He's trained all over he, in England and, and the U.S. And he's been on so many different shows and movies. He's worked with the Coen brothers. Uh, he's been on The Blacklist, which is one of my favorite shows. He's been on Law, uh, and, Law and Order. Sure. Sopranos. Yeah, he's been on The Sopranos where yeah. he got run over by a car. He's the actor that you probably didn't recognize if you were walking down the street, yeah. but you've seen him in so many yeah. shows and go, I know that guy from somewhere. He was on Third Watch. I was on Third Watch. Oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make I, the I game played it to see if Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon and Joe Kane. I, I, I played a dead body. <laughs> Had yeah. nothing to do with his character, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk to Jeffrey and see what he's got in store for us and what he has to tell us about Daredevil. Jeffrey, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. How are you doing this Hi. evening? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Excellent. You're also in uh, New York, are you not? I, I am. Uh, we say I'm in New York, to be honest. I'm, I'm in New Jersey, which is like New York, except... You know, not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just pretend you didn't say that. And uh... <laughs> well, for, for, I, I'm, I'm in the New York area. Right, I got gotcha. you. Right, just a bridge away. That's all. So close. Just a bridge away. So I close. Spent a lot of time in New York. Absolutely. <laughs> so, where did you grow up? Are you a New Yorker by well, New York native, I, New York area native? Um, I was actually born in an Air Force base in California, and we were there for about four years. Um, my dad's a doctor. And so, uh, but he joined the Air Force. Uh, and then uh, we were in Philadelphia for a year and Newton Center for a year and Cherry Hill, New Jersey for two years. And then Bergen County um, from like third grade on. And then, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, we've been in, in the New York area since about third grade. So you, you grew up with that like army brat sort of mentality of jumping around from place to place. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't think I was a brat. <laughs> it, was Air, it was it was Air Force. I mean, de definitely it, it impacted me. I remember um, thinking that that I uh, I didn't really need to have a a house home that you know my my little unit of family that was that was my home because we we were all, we it felt like certainly until I was in third grade we were moving every two or three years. Wow. And so um, uh, yeah, I never felt like I was the kind of person who had that family home to go back to. You know, so uh, that's that's my mentality, I guess. It's it's impacted me. So, uh, and then I, I lived in England. I mean, I lived in England um, over a six year period for about four years, four and a half years. I was in London. So, so when did you get into the business? When did you start finding out that you were an actor and that's what you wanted to be? For me, what what happened was um, I was brought up uh, in in a household where there was always music, and and my parents liked the arts and theater. My mom's a painter. My dad. Um, did community theater. Uh, we listened to musical theater and you know folk music and uh, and rock and roll. So we, we were sort of progressive liberal Jewish people growing up in a time when we weren't at the cutting edge of that. But the arts was it's always part of my life. So I was in choir in grade school and 
uh, did little shows and they grow to play in third grade. But I thought I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, certainly by the time I got into high school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer because I was a nice Jewish boy from Bergen County. Um, but I was doing a lot of theater. And uh, when I got into college, I did a, I did West Side Story. Uh, I played action. And Len Berkman, who was head of the trial department over at Smith, wrote me a letter, a, a handwritten letter about my work and described it in ways that I had never really considered. And um, that's sort of when I understood that what I was doing was more than just um, recreation. Uh, it was a, a it, and so I realized it was sort of like a vocation. I would say it chose me more than I chose it. I didn't want to be an actor. I, I still don't think it's a great way to live a life uh, logistically, but it is, um, it's an amazing art form. So I, I would say it chose me in college like it grabbed me by the balls in college (laughs) and and it hasn't let go. So there you go. Growing up and, and going to drama school and being an actor and being in the theater Mm -hmm. now working in television or streaming episodic, we'll call it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you worked on a lot of TV as well. What, um, do you have a lot of actors that have inspired you through your career? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, for me, um, the, the, my, my actor, my, my favorite actors tend to have come out of, um, I, I think British theater, you know, I, I think Anthony Hopkins is for me, one of my, fa- he's one of my favorite actors, Ian McKellen. Um, uh, but also as I've, as I've gotten older, I've met some of these actors who I, who I remember seeing, I remember Roger Reese, I saw Nicholas Nickleby. I don't know if you guys remember um, back, I guess it was 83, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even 82. Um, the Royal Shakespeare Company brought Nicholas Nickleby over, and it was the, the first time that tickets were over $100, and it was an eight-and-a-half-hour play, and you could see it all in one piece. Um, and I got to see that there was a birthday present for my parents. And I remember... Uh, during the the inter there's a very long interval, long break in between the two, the two sort of days, so like an hour for people to get a meal, and um, but some of the actors were strolling around. I remember seeing Roger Reese, he was just brilliant. And many years later, I saw him at auditions because my English accent is pretty good, and we would audition against each other mm-hmm. for British voiceovers. <laughs> and I remember finally getting the guts to tell him how much he meant to me and what that play meant to me. And he was just, uh, he was uh, extremely gracious, but also a little taken aback because here we were colleagues. And yet at the time I was this kid watching him on stage. I also remember doing that with Len Cariou because I saw him in Sweeney Todd. And so um, as I've gotten older, I've gotten to work with some of the actors who at one point were there and now they're like, hey, yeah, we're, we're doing a scene together. You know, working with Glenn Close, yeah. working with, you know, Robert De Niro, working, I, I, you know, Judd Hirsch. I've now I've worked with a lot of these people who I, I had put on, I guess, pedestals when I was younger. And now uh, I, I actually respect them a bit more because I've now they've looked at me in the eye and, and said lines with me. Sure. You know, we've done scenes together. So how does the actor being inspired by theater end up in Marvel comic land? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so what happened with that? was uh, I had had meniscus surgery and um, then two weeks later slipped 
because I, I, I hadn't rehabbed it and dislocated my shoulder and then broke two bones. Ooh. And with a broken shoulder, I remember having an audition for um, both Daredevil and The Blacklist, hmm. like within within like days. And uh, I also it was uh, was asked by Warren Light to do a play. And so with a broken shoulder, I was doing a play. And I was also doing two TV shows. And um, I, I think the, the, the sort of the, the overall lesson is that there is no real difference. I know that's not really relevant, actually. That's not really the question you asked, but it, it was just a time. That, I mean, that, that's how I got Daredevil <laughs> happened when I was also doing a play or I was about to do a play. Um, and so I was doing them simultaneously. And to be honest, for me, there, there's no there's no real difference in terms of the core of the work. Right. The the real difference is is the end experience. Mm -hmm. So when you get to do a play, whether it's a 20 minute play or a, or a three hour play, you're there for that entire period of time and, and you get to live a longer event. Um, you have rehearsal time beforehand to figure stuff out. When you do film and television, there's left, there's much less left to the imagination for the actor and for the audience. Um, you know, you go onto a set for daredevil, everything you need is there. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll put a bottle in a box and you know, if you open that bottle, it won't be real alcohol, but it'll be the right color. Um, and, and there's something uh, that, that takes away the, the burden of, of having to imagine so you can really focus on what's going on in the moment-to-moment -moment scene. And that's true of television and film. But what you don't get is you don't have the opportunity to spend the time with your colleagues discovering in the same way you do on stage. Um, but the, the doorway in, and you know, I talk about this all the time, I, I guess, uh, the doorway in is exactly the same. You have words that tell you what the character is thinking, what the character is doing, what his relationship with the other characters may, may be. Mm -hmm. And so that's more or less the same. So for me, the process is pretty similar. You know, it's a bit intuitive. It's a bit analytical. It's a bit, um, I mean, it's thoughtful. And when I have the opportunity to um, work, uh, certainly in, in Daredevil, uh, season two, um, Deborah Ann Wall and I spent a lot of time talking on the phone, uh, and even getting together in person to dissect, um, what's going on because that, uh, allows for sort of this greater freedom and relaxation when you're in front of the camera and you can actually discover in the middle of it. And Daredevil, I, I have to say, Daredevil has been very unique in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I, I don't know that I would say that about other shows that I've done where there's been the amount of time and energy spent by the directors and the writers with the actors, certainly with the supporting level actor, right? I'm, I'm certainly not the star of the show and they spend time with me and we get to figure stuff out. And, um, do you think there's a difference so, between the, do you think there's a difference between, um, because it's not a network television show and that it's a yeah. Netflix commission show that there's that yeah. difference of freedom and budget and, I, I do. I think, I think that's exactly right. I think, I don't know if it's budget. Okay. I, I, I can't talk to budgets. Um, I guess time is because, money is what I was thinking. Because actors, <laughs> actors were the low end of, of that totem pole. Um, and, and, you know, no matter, no matter what you're doing, no matter how high, how much you're getting paid, less money spent on actors than anything else. That said, 
I think what makes Netflix so different uh, and, and what makes all the streaming, I mean, I, I, Netflix sort of set the standard, maybe. Right. But um, I think this may be true of Amazon and Hulu um, is that they are not bound by the same time restrictions that network television is is bound by because you're you're filming everything and then you're editing as you're filming and you're going to you're going to show it all you're like you're not showing it next week mm-hmm. and so they, they had this this longer window of of editing creative process and and post creative process that you, you don't have um on on other uh, certainly not on networks yeah. um are you still there Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you like, we were, like, we were actually like fascinated by you and just listening. <laughs> um, so they just, you froze. No, and, and um, <clears throat> you know, with Netflix, certainly with Daredevil, you're, it's a 13-hour movie. Yeah. yeah. And so they allow these relationships to develop. They allow these moments to happen because they're not – I don't think it's a financial thing, but they're not bound by the restrictions of – of making sure you have the beginning, the middle, and the end of every episode, right? So right. you look at, at any Law & Order, each one, there's very few long through lines. Yeah. I mean, you have the same actors, so they started to do that. But I've done 12 Law & Orders, and I can tell you, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, each one. It's, Netflix, it's a format that they're cranking out. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think what's happened is certainly, again, with Daredevil, is they have taken the long view and and it is a long form. It is a it, it is a thirteen hour movie, and that's why you can binge watch it. I mean, I think House of Cards did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember seeing the first season of House of Cards, and I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. You have stories that go through the entire season. West Wing did it too, right? You have these stories that go through an entire season, but each episode sort of has that episodic formula too. But they, you also get this through line, and I, so I think network is starting to pick up on how people are even going to watch their shows. Cause gotcha. I, I've been, I watched the first season of, of Madam secretary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I would binge watch three or four episodes at a time. Right. Gotcha. Well, the whole, so the I, whole... think, I think that was the game changer. And there's some networks that are taking more creative liberties. I mean, you've seen it with shows like sons of anarchy or walking dead. They, yep. they push the limits, right? They don't necessarily all stick to the one hour mark these days and they they take their liberties but those are for the really big you know their blockbuster hits right those are the ones yeah that have yeah but that but they, transcended they on i mean i don't know about you guys but i i thought that the the webisode the four minute thing was going to be the certainly the end of my career but also um what what it was going to be you know that people that everyone was banking on the fact that nobody had any any um attention span and netflix proved that wrong mm-hmm. Netflix also proved that that reality television is a short-lived fad and people want character-driven content yep. uh story-driven content and they want to be able to engage and and marvel is e- even more unique because marvel has this audience that's been waiting for this yeah, right. yeah. Just, you know they, they, like yeah. oh my god we're finally legitimate <laughs> right <You know>? definitely <laughs> well let's talk a little bit about marvel and how much you knew about daredevil going into the show and do you think your knowledge of daredevil did that help you land the role like did you read the comics when you were kids i, and- I, I had you know I, I actually was a fan I, I was more of a marvel fan than a dc fan i i um I'm not sure that looking back, I could explain why that was. 
Um, I, I I thought that di- what made Daredevil cool was that he um, he was Batman like, except wasn't quite as rich, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, he 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 had he had his own challenges, and I think that's actually one of the things that makes Daredevil even among the other Marvel shows so unique is that you're you're looking at a, a guy who has enhanced normal physical ability, and and so the, your suspension of disbelief is you don't need that much of it, you know. Right. You you don't have to go to a place where somebody's from another planet, <laughs> and um and and I. Uh, so I think that drew me in even even back then. I, I didn't go nuts um, doing a ton of research, uh, but but I did a little bit. You know, I, I I found my character. I wasn't going to play him like like other Marvel sort of um, or or even DC uh, like Daily Planet or Daily Bugle kind of uh-huh. editors. It wasn't written that way, and so my knowledge of daredevil was enough. Um, I, I didn't watch, I didn't go back and watch Spider-Man. I didn't go back and watch Superman because that wasn't the tone that they were setting. I wasn't going to be a James Jonah, J, you know, Jameson. I wasn't going to be, you know, we got to do this now. That, that that's not how I act, right. but also it's not how it was written. Um, and, uh, so knowing, knowing about it, um, intrigued me. Um, Knowing the importance of um, Yurik uh, intrigued me, um, and what they've done for me is, uh, I think, is made me more Yurik-like than editor-like, and uh, I I appreciate that. Hmm. I think now you're seeing it's not all the TV show is being derived from the comic book. You're seeing this give and take, this sort of dialogue between how the comic books are now being written, right? Mm-hmm. Comics are now showing uh, a different sensibility because people can see it on television. But, um, you know, in a way, comics have always been the, uh, uh, what is it when when, when uh, artists sort of draw the, the, the shots? Panels. What's that called? Storyboards. Panels. Yeah, storyboards. So in a way, comics are already the storyboards of a movie anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. kind of what they've always been. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I, I think, uh, I mean, my first introduction to the graphic novel was The Watchmen. Mm. And, Definitely. And I, re- I remember reading those individually and then getting them all combined in one. I still, I think my son has it in his bedroom. And, um, I remember that that for me was when I got it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think Daredevil Daredevil feels to me like it's talking that language. Cool. Now, now Jeffrey, Jerry, you're also, I'm sorry, you're also an acting coach, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So tell yeah. me, do you, do you have a philosophy that you teach, a certain method? What is your approach to that? Well, if the approach I have in my teaching is, is very similar to the approach I, well, it is exactly the approach I have in my acting. I'm, I'm a product of training, and so um, what, what I focus on as an actor and therefore what I focus on when I'm coaching or teaching or even directing is, um, is, is really what the text is. I mean, what is, what is the playwright or the, or the, or the writer, the screenwriter, the script writer, what are they, what's the story they're telling? Um, and basically all dialogue is, is, um, it's, it's a, a, a revealing of thought. 
right? That's the only, that's your only clue is what are you thinking? What are you doing? And so that, that's the, the philosophy I have is I don't care what the medium is really. And that's sort of what I was talking about earlier is that I, I don't really differentiate in terms of my approach. And that's what I tell my actors. Is <coughs> some director will tell you stand here or we need this bigger or smaller, but your job as an actor is to divine the truth of the text and to serve that text um, and to dig deep because a writer, I, 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 I've heard that, and I've done a little bit of writing and I know this is true for myself, but writers who have much more experience than I do, they tend to hear these conversations and are observers of life and are sharing that observation, but they don't go deep with each character to divine the motivation for the behavior that they're describing on the page. Your, that's your job as an actor. That's what makes it a collaborative art form. And so your job as an actor is to dive down deep into what that person is doing, what's motivated that person, what justifies the behavior and the thought process. Not to judge them at all, but to, to justify that behavior. And so that's what I tell my actors. I mean, that's, that's what I spend 99% of my time doing with my actors as we look at text we look at a scene or a monologue or whatever they're working on and we try to figure out first of all what are you doing and then what's the motivation what's what's justifying that behavior and um that tends to be my philosophy that whatever whatever my approach is is something you can apply to every medium because you know three directors will tell you three different things in the room so mm -hmm. you, you can't please anybody Right. That's not your job isn't to make people like you or to please you or to figure out what the casting director is going to want or the director is going to want. That's not your job. Your job is to figure out what's going on because that's ultimately what really what everybody wants. In terms of the script work and things like that, one of the things in the Marvel universe, right? Very secretive. How tight? Very secretive. Yeah. So how far in advance do you even get a script? I mean, what's your prep well, like and? Or is it, it just, you know, they tell you you're going to break your knees if they just, you know, if it ends well, up on a podcast. Right, so <laughs> so I, I, I'm not allowed to talk about any any script information that I have ahead of time, obviously, sure. or, they, or they will break my knees. <laughs> um, uh, but my first season, I was getting sides very late. And um, I'm the newspaper editor, and, and I, I found myself not knowing what I was supposed to know, you know, I, I didn't even know what was going on in, in Ellison's world. Like what, what did Ellison know? What's, what's blown up recently. And, um, they heard that and I would get calls from the showrunners, um, and I'd have conversations with them. So they would, and I only need to know what I need to know. I don't need to know what's going on with, in the prison or, or I, I don't need to know what's going on in a place that Ellison wouldn't know. And in fact, that's, that's useless data for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's curious and interesting, but it doesn't help me as an actor. What helps me as an actor is what does Ellison know? Um, and if you saw season one, you know, what Yurik thought Ellison was doing, what Ellison really was doing were two very different things. And I needed to know what I actually had done and what I knew. And that was, um, I, that, that was an ask. I had to, I had to ask for that. 
that wasn't an automatic gimme. But they they heard me and they they were they were nice about it. And they were nice um, enough to provide that type of information yeah, I, for I, you, which is great. Yeah, you know, they 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 heard me. I mean, they had their own reasons for not sharing because right. they wanted people to react spontaneously. They 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 felt that they I, I and I said that's a that's an actor trust issue. You have to trust that your actors can do the job you're asking them to do, even if they have a little bit of the information ahead of time, because we need to know where we're going with things. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Jeffrey, um, tell us about your beard. You think that's helping you get roles? Because I've seen work with you without the beard and with the beard. Yeah. And what's kind of cool well, is you could play different characters with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> right now, the, the beard... Uh, I don't know if it helps me get roles or not. It, it certainly helps define the roles I get to some extent. You know, if you walk into a room with this, you're going to get different roles than if you, you know, than this guy. I mean, um, but I auditioned for Hail Caesar with the beard and we ended up, you know, we shaved it because it wasn't right for the time period. Oh, yeah. um, and the Coen brothers luckily could see through the, 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 <laughs> the mass, the, the facial merkin that I have. They could see right through it. Nice. Um, but uh, it's it's a good question. I mean, it the job defines my facial hair more than the other way around. Mm-hmm. So because I had hurt myself, I auditioned for Blacklist and Daredevil with the beard because I I was I just wasn't shaving. I didn't have enough body parts to shave. <laughs> um, so uh, and then once you audition for something with facial hair, and then you get called back and put on hold. Then by the, you know, I grow a beard quickly. And so within two weeks, it looks like I have a beard right. within three weeks. I, I kind of have a beard. <laughs> and so, um, by the time we, it came to shooting, they were like, keep the beard. So then while you're shooting, you have the beard. Right. And yeah. then anything you audition for while you're shooting, you have the beard. <laughs> <clears throat> so it sort of dictates to some extent. Um, work has dictated my facial hair more than the other way around. Right, and then that um, becomes the character. And yeah, right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so now I can't shave it until right until Marvel tells me I can shave it. I was gonna say, are you legally bound to keep the beard at this point? <laughs> I'm not legally bound. I mean, you know, if if they want to, if 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 my um, if my role in Daredevil continues, which we're hopeful that it will, and and. Uh, I, I guess it's likely because nothing bad happened to me in season two. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I know that they they like it, and and I will honor that legally. I don't know that I'm legally bound yeah. Um, yeah. to do anything. Do I do I want the job? Yeah. <laughs> right. So so you know, I, I, it's more of a gentleman's agreement right now. It reminds me so. of Michael Gross, the family from Family Ties. Remember right. that? Like once he grew the beard, that he stayed with the beard. Everyone would start right. to know him as that. Yeah. Right. Well, right. any any signs of uh, possibly you know Ellison showing up in the Defenders or any of the other um, Marvel um, Marvel I, Universe I, I, on I, Netflix? To be honest, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if I did know, I, I wouldn't be at liberty to say. Um, <laughs> True. Um, anyway, so uh, but I, I don't I don't really know. I I think. Um, there, there have always been hints, even when, even the first season, that Allison may show up in somebody else's show, and and uh, as the only newspaper editor in all of the Marvel universe on Netflix, I, I guess you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, and and it's it's always possible, but I, I have no data 
um, that, that I can that I can confirm. That, that, <laughs> right. Yeah, I wish I wish I did. Sure. So that wasn't a denial. But it's definitely but, a good character. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, they 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 gave this to me, um, and uh, they like him. Um, I, I do know that uh, after season one, um, there had there was some debate um, as to what Karen was going to do. Like, was she going to go into the law practice? Or is she going to work for Ellison? And I'm grateful and happy that they decided that um, that that window, the window of the newspaper into the world of, of Daredevil, is something that is better for the audience. And, you know, hopefully that can be translated into some of the other shows. I mean, certainly from a career standpoint, it'd be great. Sure. But I also, I, I think that it's a, it's a very good um, convention, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a good conceit to have a newspaper access because we're, well, especially now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What an interesting thing it would be to, to take what, what we're seeing with our own government and the press translated into the Marvel universe about truth telling and lies in the press and who's telling the truth especially when the truth is already a little bit funky in Marvel, that might be an interesting thing for them to, uh, to address. Sure. So if any of them are listening, that's my, that's my two cents. Sure. Lots of options there. Well, one last piece we, I have a question for, if you could play any superhero in the uh, Marvel or DC, I know, I, I know maybe you're leaning towards Marvel, but, um, in the universe, which, which, which superhero would you be interested in playing? He'd play Ellison. Oh, th- there you go. <laughs> right, that right, is true. Right. I, I'd be the editor. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't do very well, but but that's in my head. The editor. I can see people at Comic Cons coming in their in their suits and ties um, and beards. I don't know. I don't know. Any superhero. I guess I guess at one point uh, I liked he has the the flash on. I think at one point <laughs> I liked the flash. Yeah. Um uh but um I know I feel a little old to play a superhero now, you know. I I don't I don't Well not a know. watchman. You could be a watchman watchman right, I'm all different ages. Right. I think I, I, I think um oh, what was the guy with the ink blots? Oh, Warshak. Yeah, Warshak. I, I, as an actor, that's who I'd want to play. Hmm. Yeah. He's he's an interesting character. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I think so. I think, although I see the owl, I think if somebody were to cast me as a superhero, it'd probably be you know, the little overweight owl with all the contraptions. <laughs> but uh, but I, like, I liked Warshak. I, I thought he was... Um, a, tr- a very troubled individual. Cool. I see actually John Bernthal would play him pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're getting close to wrapping up. We like to huh? end things with a little bit of advice for folks. And, you know, we have a lot of indie filmmakers and actors that, that listen to the podcast. Advice for, for young actors. Yeah. What, um, do you, what do you advise for young folks getting in the biz today? <laughs> if, if, you, if there's something else you would rather do, <laughs> uh, I would advise you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is there's more work now than ever before. 
ever before in the history of this business. It doesn't pay as much, but there is more work. There's more opportunity for more actors than ever before. Um, the work is better than ever before. Uh, that said, there's also more people wanting to do this than ever before. Um, more people with less training are doing this than ever before. I still think you have to get trained. I think you need a liberal arts education because you need to have broad spectrum knowledge about a lot of topics. Mm -hmm. Um, and then go to, go to drama school or then get training afterwards. I think you should get trained. I think you need to be able to take the tools that you have intuitively and, and get the skill to be able to apply to those intuitive artistic sensibilities that you have so that you can have sort of a lasting career um, that you have to realize you're a student all the time yep. um, and, and that you cannot do this to please other people or to become famous. I mean, you might become famous and you might please people, but your job is to do neither. Your job is you have to be driven to be uh, a discoverer. You have to love that process beyond anything else. And then you'll find that even auditions are fun and that rehearsals are fun and that the art itself is what drives you. And if that's not what interests you, please do something else. Mm -hmm. Please. Excellent, Jeffrey. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much that, for that, that's Jeffrey. That's really good, yes. Um, do you want to tell anybody? I mean, obviously they know they can catch you in Daredevil on Netflix. Is there anywhere else people can connect with you online? You want to... Um, yeah, so you, I have a website. It's jeffreycantor.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at, at Jeff Cantor, and uh, Instagram is Mr. G Cantor. Um, I'm doing my first Comic-Con. I'm doing oh. the Big Apple Con March 11th and 12th at the Pennsylvania Hotel. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Oh, cool. um, I think that's going to be a, a fun time. We should um, with, uh, with some of the other members of Daredevil, I think there's four of us. Elgin and John Bernthal and Peter Shinkoda um, are going to be there. Um, Stan Lee is going to be there. Cool. So, um, But it's my first one. Very excited. Cool. Very we'll probably and, we'll uh, probably stop by and say hello. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Maybe yeah. we'll get some that'd press passes and we'll go weasel our, our ways in there. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, there's um, I've, I've done a, a couple of short films uh, that will be coming out. Um, one with a couple of people from um, the John Oliver show called huh. Anna and the Asteroid. Just a, a, a little thing on that. Um, waiting to hear if the show Civil gets picked up. That would be uh, an interesting, uh, timely show. And uh, hopefully I'll be doing uh, Daredevil season three when when they start shooting that somewhere down the road. I'm allowed to say that I'm hopeful for that. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think that that's that's all that I, I know of that I can share. Cool. Fair enough. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jeff. This has Thank been a pleasure. Guys. Really appreciate your time. We definitely wish Thank you success you. in the future and keep up Thank what you you're doing. Much. It's good to see you Thank again. Thank you. Have a great Thank night. You. Cheers. All right. Take Kyle. care. Thank you.